This morning, as we get into Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 32, it is a challenging passage. Um, Paul Wett started out our service by taking a little bit of an informal survey. Let me continue with a little bit of an informal survey for you this morning. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'll ask with a show of hands this morning. So show of hands, respond. How many of you in here would prefer a cup of Dunkin' Donuts to a cup of Starbucks? You prefer Dunkin' Donuts over Starbucks, right? We're dividing the house. Two hands from Kathy, okay. All right, put your hands down. How many Starbucks over Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, yeah, quite a few, right? How many don't care whatsoever and don't drink? <laughs> wow, more so, more so. Okay, all right. How many of you here would prefer a vacation in the mountains over a vacation at the beach? few? All right, hands down. How many of the beach to the mountains? Would re- oh, a lot more at the beach. Okay, guess that's why you live here. That's, that's good. All right, how many would say, I prefer an Apple phone over any other out there? Now we're going to get personal, right? Okay, yeah. How many would say, I want my Android. You can keep your Apple. Don't, yeah. I will not, I will not come in. Yeah, good. All right. Uh, that's good. Um, how many would say, I am voting for Hillary? No, I'm not going to go there. Um, not going there. Um, here's the thing. We all have our opinions and things, and it's a way that divides people at times, right? So here's the thing. When I make my decision for something... That may be one part of the decision, but I'm not only making my decision for something. Sometimes I'm making my decision against something else, right? So I like my dunks, and apparently, because this is the first time I saw this video too, my daughter wants to run a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, So there's something you learn, um, which is actually good for me, because I'm in that first category. I'll take my dunks any day. Um, so when I make, you make your decision for Dunkin' Donuts, right? You're making your decision for that, but in one way, you feel like you're kind of making a decision against something else too, right? And you're a Dunks person, and so you're like, oh, that Starbucks stuff tastes so burnt. How can you drink that stuff, right? And you're a Starbucks person, you think, oh, that Dunk stuff is still watered down. That's not even coffee. How can you drink that? And so you have this decision you've made and this opinion you have, but it's not only for what you've chosen. Sometimes it kind of also evolves into an opinion maybe against someone who hasn't chosen the same way you've chosen. And so you've got your Apple phone, and anyone who doesn't have an Apple phone, you just don't understand why you wouldn't have an iPhone, because it's the best, and you become an iPhone ambassador, an evangelist for the iPhone, and you're trying to convince everyone, because if they haven't chosen it, you have an opinion about that. It's true with phones, it's true with vacation spots, it's true with coffee, sometimes it's also true with our spiritual walk. And it's true with Christianity. Last week, we talked about this idea that not everyone calls on the name of the Lord. We looked at Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that said, um, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. Everyone is everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But not everyone is saved. Not everyone calls on the name of the Lord. And last week, we said, well, there's two reasons for that. One is, many haven't heard. 
They just haven't heard. They haven't heard and understood. And so we want to be part of the solution, not the problem when it comes to that at Mount Hope. We want to be part of making sure people can hear and do hear the gospel in a way that they understand, whether that means communicating it on the level to our kids, like these kids just talked about. I don't know how any one of us is not just signing up for kids ministry after that video, because I'm like tearing up. I'm like, yeah, I want to make sure you know Jesus. Um, And that's part of communicating the gospel, right? We want to make sure our kids understand it on their level. We want to make sure people in other countries, other nations that haven't heard the gospel hear it in their language, hear it in a way that they can understand it. We want to make sure everybody hears, whether that's around the world or around the block. But then also we said there are another group of people that they've heard, they understood, but they still don't call in the name of the Lord because they don't believe. They heard, they hear what you're saying They understand what you're saying. They just don't believe like you believe. In fact, uh, they reject what you believe. They reject God. And so this morning, we want to talk a little bit about that because Paul gets into this in Romans chapter 11. What about those people that have heard, understood, don't believe, and reject God? And the two questions I want you to think about, what is God's posture towards them? And what should you, if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus, what should your attitude and posture be to someone who chooses differently? To someone who may have rejected God. And you know these people and I know these people. We both know them, right? In fact, we probably both have them in our families. We both have them in in places we work where you have someone that you know they maybe they were brought up in church. Maybe you personally shared with them. Maybe you talked to them about Jesus. You heard. uh, They heard. They understood. They heard you out and they said, no, thank you. Or maybe more firmly, they said they rejected it. I don't believe that. So what then is your posture? towards people in that situation. That's what Paul talks a little bit about in Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 32. Because there are many who won't call on the name of the Lord, and the ones that do, what is your posture towards them who don't? So I want to talk about that this morning, because the truth is, Paul's answer, his answer is this, Your attitude and your posture towards those, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ who haven't called on God's name, should be to remember your roots. Remember where you came from. Remember your roots. Remember where you came from. In fact, you have to go a ways down uh, into the passage before he mentions it. But he talks about it in this passage and he says, he talks about remembering where you have come from and where you, uh, where you came from. In verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root who supports you. We're going to unpack that statement in a few minutes. But what Paul is saying, look, if you've chosen to follow Jesus... There are those who aren't going to choose to follow Jesus. So what's your attitude? Remember your roots. Remember it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. We're going to unpack that statement in just a moment. But his primary call is for you and I to remember. Remember where you came from. 
There is this big fascination these days with our roots, right? And part of it comes from the ease of the internet, being able to research things pretty quickly, being able to uh, bring a lot of information together in one place. So Ancestry.com, discovering what makes you uniquely you, and all these different websites. There's this fascination these days with discovering where you came from and how you got to where you are. Sometimes you might discover something and you're like, wow, that's so exciting. I want to share that with everybody. I saw a uh, movie not too long ago where the main character uh, was convinced he was a direct descendant of Alexander the Great. And so he's telling everyone that he's a direct descendant of Alexander the Great because, uh, you know, that's something you want to tell everyone. But then sometimes maybe you discover things in your roots that you don't want to tell everyone. There was a show on PBS uh, not too long ago called Finding Your Roots. It got canceled. Uh, One reason it got canceled is because one of the people they were profiling, Ben Affleck, discovered something in his roots that he didn't want to get out and he wouldn't release it and he wouldn't put it out there that somewhere back in his lineage that some of his family members were slave owners and so the show just got canceled because this isn't working when things like that happen. Because sometimes you're going to find things you're excited about and sometimes you're going to find things you're embarrassed about but they're your roots. And so understanding your roots can be helpful in understanding who you are. But as a Christian, it's important to understand your roots in light of this situation of how we are to respond, act, and be towards maybe those who have not chosen to follow Christ. So there's two truths. In fact, I'm going to cover these really quickly today. Two truths that come out in this chapter that every Christian needs to understand when it comes to remembering your roots. Two truisms that it's important for every person of faith in Jesus Christ to know when it comes to remembering your roots. Two things that it's important for you as a Christian to never forget and that come about when you think about your roots and your faith. And the first one is this. Remember your roots... Remember your roots because nobody arrives on their own. Remembering your roots will show you and will remind you that nobody has arrived where they are on their own. If you think about it, it's true in your situation in life. I mean, you take a snapshot of your life. And all this Ancestry.com stuff and stuff like that is popular because you know that you didn't get here on your own. There were things that contributed to where you are right now. We could think of it in the big abstract picture, but you could think of it just in the small picture of how you, <clears throat> how you, got, <clears throat> excuse me, how you got to church this morning. You didn't get here on your own. Nobody arrives on their own. Even if you drove yourself here. How many of you built your car that you drove here in today? (laughs) Right? How many of you manufactured the metal of the car that you... Nobody arrives on their own. Nobody got here. Somebody drove you here. Somebody built the car you came in. Somebody took public transportation. Somebody drove that. You know, nobody arrives on their own. If you walked here, somebody cleared the way for you to take that walk. Nobody arrives on their own. And it's true in our Christian faith too. Nobody arrives on their own. Paul was talking and writing this letter in Rome to mainly Gentile Christian, non-Jewish Christians. 
Anyone who's non-Jewish would be a Gentile. And and so he's writing this book to these non-Jewish Christians. And here's his fear. Here's his fear. His fear is that these non-Jewish Christians are starting, now that they have accepted to Jesus, starting to look at the Jewish people who do not accept Jesus and starting to be discriminatory against them and starting to write them off. His fear is that when you choose Jesus and you look at the Jewish people who had all this interaction with God, all this information, waiting for their Messiah, and then don't accept Jesus, his fear is that there's going to be anti-Semitism, that they're going to write them off, that they're going to say, well, you know, God is done with you, and now we are at center stage. And so Paul's afraid, and he knows that some of this is going on. In fact, some people, as I was reading and studying this chapter this week, some people say one of the main reasons Paul wrote this entire letter to the first century church is because of this concern, because of what he finally gets to in Romans chapter 11, that he's concerned that the Gentile Christians are going to just totally cut off and write off, and in his words, become arrogant about who they are in God's sight. But he tells them to be careful because it's not them who support the tree, uh, but it's the root that supports them as the branches. So let's get into a little bit of this agricultural metaphor. Verse 17, he says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others... And now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Here's what he says. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And so he says, be careful. Don't become arrogant. He says, because it's not you who support the root. It's the root that supports you as the branches. So here's what Paul's saying. Look, you owe a debt to the Jewish people. In the most fundamental way, Paul's saying, look, he said it in in Romans chapter 3, verse 2. He said, the Jewish people were entrusted with the oracles of God. In other words, he's saying, you Gentile Christians, you are trusting in a Jewish Messiah who was declared and prophesied through a Jewish Bible, who was given to you through their lineage, through God's chosen people, starting with Abraham. That's the root. That's the foundation of your faith. You can't now just totally ignore them and cut them off. There's something important about what God has done with them, and you are benefiting from what they have given you. And so you need to honor that. And so he's saying, you don't have a right to cut that off. You may have been grafted in. So grafting, right? Uh, I had to learn a little bit about this. Some of you are much more educated in this than I am. But grafting, right? So there's there's maybe a tree... And uh, you want to graft in another tree, so you take a branch, or you make a hole in the tree, and you take a branch, or this is one way you can do, from one tree, and you place it into the other tree, and you place some nutrients and things around it, you pack it in so it stays, and it starts, you know, developing roots and kind of almost like tentacle things into the existing tree, becoming a part 
of the tree. Why would you do it? Well, maybe you have a tree that has really strong roots, a strong trunk, a resistance to mold and fungus and all this stuff, but it's not bearing much fruit. And then you've got this little wild, crazy tree over here. That's what Paul's calling Gentiles. Wild, crazy tree over here. He calls it a wild olive, wild olive tree, right? And it may be bearing fruit and, and, and it's, you know, but you want the bearing fruit to have a strong root. And so you graft one branch from the wild, crazy bearing fruit tree into the strong root, you know, a strong tree and you get the benefits of both is the idea. Now you got the strong root and you've got this bearing of fruit that you're looking for. And so Paul says, look, it's the root, but, but the branch didn't, doesn't support the tree. It's the tree who supports the branch. And so he says, don't become arrogant. Don't become arrogant towards the trunk, towards the root. Because they played an important role. And later in the chapter, Paul says, I'll paraphrase, but basically says, they may still, they still have an important role to play. They still, God is not done with his people, Israel. They've played an important role that you need to honor, and they still have a role in God's plan that you need to honor. So don't cut them off. Remember where you came from. Now, there's a whole lot of theology here that, uh, I, you know, that, that people argue over, and there are wars ongoing now in the Middle East uh, over really some words that are right in this passage. And there are theological battles that wage over war, over words that are in this passage. Words that say, all Israel will be saved. They say, well, what does that mean? Well, all of the reading I did this week, there are a lot of people that disagree over what that means. There are some people, I knew there were people that disagreed over what Israel meant. Does it mean geopolitical Israel? Does it mean Israel, uh, you know, in a nation, ethnic Israel? Does it mean Israel, the new Israel, which is those who follow Jesus Christ as, as, as the new Israel of God? Does that mean? I knew there were people that disagreed over that. I didn't know there were people that disagreed over the word all. I got into commentaries this week and they're like, well, all can mean this and all can mean that. And I'm like, I thought all just meant all. I was like prepared to enter into the argument of what Israel means, but now I got to worry about what all means. So it's pretty complex uh, the way, you know, I think it boils down. There's a lot of uh, intricacies to it. I think it boils down, you know, there's at least a couple points that I would say I know are true. One is this. Israel has played an important role in the plan of God, no question about it. I would say also Israel and Israelites and the Jewish people, like anyone else, need to come to God through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and faith in him like anybody else. I would also say God is still working and has something. And this one is more personal opinion. This one, I, you know, as Paul says, sometimes this is me. And, and other, this one's more personal opinion. And I'll put that out there. God, I believe, still has a plan and something he's not done with the people, Israel, and before the end of time. And whenever God says that's enough, something's going to happen. Because there's just, in my opinion, you look at the scriptures and, you know, God says, you know, uh, all Israel will be saved. That means something. 
nothing. I'm not, maybe there's this great revival among the Jewish people before Jesus comes again or when Jesus comes again. A lot of people believe that. Um, but also, you just look at the geopolitical aspects of it. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian or believe the Bible to look at it and say, where did this nation come from and why did they come back? after like 1,900 years being gone from the earth and all of a sudden it's back. Like the Jebusites aren't back and the Canaanites aren't back, but Israel is back. And you say, well, what is that? I think God's not done with Israel. And he has something that he, he, the promises he's made at the beginning, he will make sure that they are fulfilled. So uh, now, does that mean that, you know, some people say, does that mean you come beside geopolitical Israel and blanketly approve of everything that's done just, uh, just, as, just as a way of saying, well, if we're in line with geopolitical Israel, we're in line with God? That doesn't necessarily mean that, but it does mean an honor that takes place towards God's people. It does mean uh, that I think we take into consideration God's plan for God's people. Now, if there are people that are doing things that are against Scripture, against the morals, against, against what God has laid out. Uh, it's important that, you know, we're not going to prove or be in line with anything God has not condoned or things he's condemned. But there is a, something that God has not done with his people, and that needs an honor that takes place there um, that needs to be recognized. And that's what Paul's saying. You have no right to be arrogant towards these people. Nobody gets there on their own. And one thing you have received from the Jewish people is God's guidance, his word through them. And so honor that. But I would also say nobody gets there on their own by looking at just how you came to Christ. Don't be arrogant because you didn't come to Christ on your own. Somebody told you Somebody shared with you. Maybe several times somebody invited you. So for us to get arrogant about being followers of Christ towards those who have rejected or not yet chosen to follow him is almost a pridefulness about our unconverted selves. Like somehow we were better than they before we were Christians. You become arrogant. You forget what it was like not to be a Christian. You forget that I had someone share with me and maybe I was resistant at first and maybe I, maybe you said no time and time and time again until at one point you said yes. So don't be arrogant towards those who are saying no and rejecting because you didn't get here on your own either. Nobody arrives on their own. So first thing you learn from remembering your roots is that nobody arrives on their own. Second thing is this. Remember your roots tells you not only does nobody arrive on their own, but that everybody has a viable path to salvation. That everybody has a viable path to salvation, or I put it another way, and maybe a little more current to our current context, and maybe more theologically correct, everybody has a viable path to election. You hear a lot of that talk these days, right? As these candidates dropped out of the race, right? Everyone said, you know, each and, almost each and every one of them will stand up and say, well, I'm suspending my campaign, which I don't even know what that means. Like, we all know you're quitting. Just say you're quitting. But they say, I'm suspending my campaign because there's no viable path to election. 
You know, they didn't see a way to get there. They didn't see a path there. There was no way. And we'd say, we all knew that, but thank you for letting us know. We knew you weren't getting elected. But there was no viable path to election, and so they stopped, right? When you remember your roots in Christ, what you learn is not only does nobody arrive on their own, but everybody has a viable path to election or a viable path to salvation. Because Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone is everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so for everyone, there is a viable path to salvation. So Paul says this in Romans chapter 11. And let's look down in verse 22 and 23. Verse 22 says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. So this is what he says. He says, there are these Jewish people who have rejected God. They're, they've heard, they understood, and they don't believe. But Paul says, even they, even they who have rejected, if they will turn from their unbelief, they too can be grafted in. Even they, if they don't continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And so what Paul is saying is don't reject them because for everyone there is a viable path to salvation because everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you are on this earth breathing air, have not yet, uh, have not yet left this earth and met your creator and, sa- creator and Savior face to face, you still have the opportunity to turn from your unbelief and turn to God and everyone has a viable path to salvation. And so he says, even they... If they will turn from their unbelief, God can graft them in. They reject it. But he starts off this chapter, chapter 11, verse 1, by saying, has God rejected them? And he says, no. No. Because even they, if they will turn from their unbelief, will be grafted in. So here's my question for you this morning. Who's the even they in your life? Who is the even they in your life? Who is the person that you look at or that you know and that you think they will never, ever, ever turn and come to Christ? Maybe it's someone in your family, someone you've talked to. Maybe it's someone you know or maybe it's someone that you don't know, but you look at them on stage or you see them on the covers of magazines at the checkout or you hear about them in the distance through social media and you say, no way. They are too fill in the blank, whatever it is, to ever come to Christ. And Paul would say, even they. Who's the even they? Is it someone who's living a 
different lifestyle than you and chosen to live a different lifestyle than you and you would say they'll never come and Paul would say even they. Is it someone of a different religion than you? You see them walking through the grocery store or walking through your neighborhood and you think they are so staunch and strong in their belief and and caught up in their religion that they will never turn to Jesus. And Paul would say, even they, if they will turn from their unbelief, will be grafted in. Is it someone who's done something harmful against you or against someone else? Or these crimes against humanity that we often hear about. And we would say they can never be accepted and forgiven and have salvation. Look at Eddie Stewart thinking about going into the prison ministry on the first Sunday of every month. And some of the people that Eddie would talk to in the prison who would think, you know, they will never be saved. That Eddie has to say, even they, if they will turn be grafted in. No matter what you've done, no matter what placed you behind those bars, even they, if they will turn from their unbelief. Someone in your school, someone in your school, maybe you're a student and and you think they'll never, no, they'll never. They, a Christian? I don't even want them to know that I go to church. I'm gonna, even they, if they turn from their unbelief, will be saved. Who is the even they in your life? I looked at, um, as I was thinking about illustrations for this sermon this week, one of the websites I looked at, and so you may be familiar with this. If you're not, it's worth checking out, but it's the I Am Second website. And I Am Second just has short little videos that are like testimonies of people that you might not expect who are followers of Christ. And the one I watched this week was by Brian Head Welch, uh, that may mean nothing. That may mean nothing. May mean nothing to many of you, uh, but maybe you heard of the group Corn in the late '90s, early 2000s, real heavy metal rock band. And Brian Head Welch was one of the uh, the lead guitarist for Corn, uh, named uh, I think the 26th best guitarist in the world by some magazine or something like that. And in 2005, Brian Wel- Head Welch gave his life to Jesus and left the band. And he shares his testimony of what that's like. And it wasn't always pretty of what that was like and what led him to that point. But caught up in the lifestyle of all that being a a rock star was at that time. Uh, uh, Sex, drugs, money, houses, uh, all of that. Caught up in all of that. And then one day his realtor is talking with him and says, Brian, I don't know what you, what you might think of this, but I just, I, don't, I never do this, but I feel like God has given me, you know, this scripture for you and, and I just wanted to share it with you and I just shared it with him and left it with him and Brian uh, went home and, and, and researched that and looked at what it meant and God used that to change his life completely And he shares this testimony on the I Am Second website. And many of us, would you you look at Brian Ed Welch on the website, and he looks just like he did when he was in corn. You look at him and you say, well, he's not, you know, he doesn't look like your typical church-going Christian. Even they. You might look at someone and say, oh, they're not a Christian. Even they. Whoever it is, whatever they look like, whatever's going on. 
turn to Christ from their unbelief will be saved. And so who's the even they in your life? Who's the one that you've said will never come? Because the challenge for you and I this morning is to remember our roots, that we were once far from God. If you are a Christian today, don't forget that you were once far from God. You were once in a place where you were completely lost but for the grace of God. And that maybe you grew up in the church like I did and you've, you, you've known the grace of God much of your life. But remember that apart from understanding and receiving that grace that you are completely lost and on your own. And so we can lose perspective. We become, as I said, we might become prideful about our unconverted selves. Like, and that's really what's happening, right? When I look at someone and think they'll never be saved, what I'm thinking is my unsaved self is better than your unsaved self. I mean, that's really what I'm thinking, right? I'm thinking somehow I was more attractive as an unsaved person to God than you are. I'm getting, and, and how ridiculous is that, right? I'm getting prideful about my unregenerate self. There's no end to my pride, to be prideful about my unregenerate self. I need to humbly say, apart from God, I am completely and utterly lost. And if God can save me, even me, then he can save any, even they. And see, that's the change in perspective. When I get to the place where I am on my knees and I can say, God, if you can save even me, then you can save any, even they. And so when you remember your roots, you remember that nobody arrives on their own and that everybody has a viable path for salvation that everybody in your life, there's people in your life, that they are not, as we might be tempted to see them, they are not issues to be solved. They are people to be loved. And sometimes we see people in our lives and we look at them and we think it's an issue to be solved. It's not. It's a person to be loved. That every person deserves, has the human right to hear the gospel in a way that they understand and to experience the love of God through people who love and worship God. Every person in your life has that right to experience the love of God through people who love them and to hear the gospel in a way that they can understand it and respond to it. So as we close out today, if you're a Christian and you're here this morning, then my challenge is for you is to think about who is the even they in your life. Is there any place in your life where you have written someone off that God has not because the Bible also says it is the will of God that all would be saved. Not all call on him, but it's God's will that all would. So have you written someone off that God hasn't? Is there someone in your life that you just need to be praying for and seeking God for and calling out to God for because maybe no one else is? Because maybe no one else is and maybe you're that person that needs to be doing that. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
then I pray and hope that your experience, the fact that you're sitting in a church on Sunday morning, I hope that your experience with people who call themselves Christians has been one of, uh, of love and care and reaching out to you and not one of arrogance or rejection. But if you're sitting here in a church on Sunday morning, I'm hoping and expecting that's probably your experience, that you're willing to be here. But if you're not a Christian, I would say this, no matter what your roots are, no matter what your past history is, no matter what, where you came from, no matter what's in that background, it doesn't determine your future of where you go from here. Because in the middle is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you come to Jesus, I don't care what's in your background, he transforms your future. And he changes that. Not just your future on this earth, but your future through all eternity. And it's not your past background. As much as we get so into this idea of our roots, it's not your roots that will determine your eternity because everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, I thank you this morning for the many things we've talked about. I thank you for the roots in our, in our faith, the Jewish people that you chose for no other reason than because you chose them. And you brought your word through them. And you brought your prophets to them. And we today are the benefits of that root and that tree. And we are grateful for it, Lord. Pray that you continue to bless the Jewish people, Lord. I pray that they would come and you'd open their eyes to the Messiah that has already come. Lord, the Messiah that is already the answer to the prophecies that have been given, that you would open the eyes of the Jewish people to that, Lord. I thank you for that heritage, Lord. Father, I thank you for the many people in this room who call Jesus Lord and for the many people who are not in this room that are the reason we do so because no one arrives on their own. I thank you for Sunday school teachers. I thank you for friends and family members, for, boy, for Royal Ranger leaders, for girls ministry leaders, for people who said that they will tell others and share the message of Jesus with other people, for moms and dads, for grandparents, because no one arrives on their own and we've all heard from somebody. I thank you for missionaries who went to places that no one else would go. Lord, we thank you for that. God, I pray that we would also fulfill our calling because everybody deserves to hear the gospel in a way that they can understand and to experience the love of God through those who love you. Lord, if there's anyone in our life that we have written off, if there's any, even they's in our life, Lord, fill us with your grace. Fill us with the love the love of the shepherd who goes after one lost sheep, who searches for one lost coin, who says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, even with nails in his hands. Lord, fill us with that kind of love, that even when people reject you, that we will not stop reaching out to them in love with your message of love and hope, Lord. Lord, and we thank you once again for the truth of your word that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord 
will be saved. And it's because of that and in that light of that that we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.